Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, flammables, an album that bumps eternally. And today, we will be deep diving together into the 2006 soundtrack for the musical, Turn Motion Picture, Dream Girls. It's the dream Debbie Allen's character, Lydia Grant, said on Fame, You got big dreams? You want fame? Well, fame costs. And right here is where you start paying in sweat. In the 2006 adaptation of the Tony Award-winning play Dream Girls, three black girls, a Tony Award winner, a star on her way to megastardom, and an ingenue famously and ridiculously slept on by American Idol, got together to tell the story of Curtis Taylor and the Dreamettes, a girl group from Detroit looking to reverse their fate and fortune with songs. There was pressure on the production from the start. The 1981 play had been nominated for 16 Tonys, won six, and its star Jennifer Holliday had changed her life and ours with these eight words. And I am telling you, I'm not going. Add to that, DreamWorks had invested $80 million in this. Warner Brothers backed out. They made key script and cast changes. And Lord, just hope for the best. But all's well that ends well. The film snatched up three Golden Globes, two Oscars, and doubled at the box office. And, in the irony of ironies, made the not-yet-proven singer an Oscar-winning actress. The film was loaded with commentary on colorism, racism, appropriation and payola, addiction, systemic challenges, and the unenviable plight of girl groups and the men behind them. But at its heart, the film is about three black girls who got big dreams, who want fame, and come to understand that fame costs... And right here is where you start paying in sweat. I feel just like the Titanic. I'm always going down, 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 down. on my side. Yes, I said, I want to breathe for The Dream Girls soundtrack was the album pick of our guest today, writer Travell Anderson. Until recently, his prodigious scribing talent could be found at the Los Angeles Times, where Travell was the entertainment reporter. But as of the late fall, he is the new director of culture and entertainment for Out Magazine. Congrats on the new post. Thank you so much. Travell originally hails from the Low Country, a.k.a. Charleston, South Carolina. And I was hyped to learn that he majored in sociology at Morehouse. Shout out to social majors and shout out to HBCUs. Yes. He also has a journalism degree from some small farm school in the area. <laughs> Travell Anderson, welcome to Heat Rocks. Thank you all for having me. I realize that we are now about 70 episodes in and we have yet to have discussed a musical. So before we dig into this specific one, I'm wondering from each of you, did you grow up listening to musicals? And if so, what were your jams back then? I love a good musical like today. I'm trying to think of like the first musical I could. Oh, The Wiz. Yeah. Would be my first musical. Um, loved, loved, 
The Wiz, so much better than The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Ooh, shots. That's real, though. I know. Real. People are going to hate me for it. It's fine. Um, But yeah, I mean, I just grew up in a household that loved singing and loved music. And so when you can combine that with entertainment and with films, it just, it's the perfect kind of family gathering and bonding experience. Yeah. How about you, Morgan? Uh, my first musicals, I'm probably going to, uh, you know, age myself here, but I'm not going to get into any specifics of numbers, <laughs> okay? Uh, but I, I don't have a clear memory of it, but my, my dad took us to see Pearly Victorious, mm. and then later, Jesus Christ Superstar, and those were the big ones. After that, it just became, you know, church and gospel-based plays, because as, as is well documented on this show, I grew up churchy, so it became, the one that, that had the most resonance with me was uh, Your Arms Are Too Short to Box With God, mm. and mm. then after that, Mama, I Want to Sing, and then after that, it was just church plays with the same plot. Someone's struggling, then they get saved at the end, and then everybody <laughs> sings. And so uh, my palate isn't super sophisticated, but that's that was my musical upbringing. Yeah. What about you? Not so much. I think partly it certainly was not something I grew up with in my family. I mean, in general, my, I did not grow up in a particularly musical household. So all of my musical introductions were on my own in musical theater, whether um, as stage plays or as film versions of it, was not something that I, I was big into. And I think the first time I went to go see, I mean, this probably was when I was in my early teens, something like Phantom of the Opera up in mm-hmm. the Bay Area or, you know, one of those big mega hit musicals. I was just thrown off by the fact that people had to sing their lines of dialogue. And it just seemed, <laughs> I mean, I understood the point of it. It just seemed really weird. It's like, why can't you just talk and then have these musical numbers in the middle? But as people remind me, if you grew up with Disney films, effectively, you are growing up with musicals. Yeah. It's in a different form, but that is, in essence, what they are. And yeah. that's certainly the tradition they draw from. So I suppose, to that extent, most of us probably grew up with musicals without realizing that we were listening to them. Sure. And I, and I didn't see Dreamgirls the musical. I didn't get a chance to see that, but everyone knew Jennifer Holiday and that song. They played that song on the radio. Uh, So we have to ask, why Dreamgirls? Were you a fan of the original Broadway play? And what makes this album a heat rock with you? Um, I think similarly to you, I was familiar with Jennifer Holiday and the song. Um, and I knew that like Loretta Devine and Cheryl Lee Ralph were in the original um, Broadway play because they're just like black icons, yeah. right, in yeah. Hollywood. And so like I, I knew of that but had never seen it. And so when the movie came around, I was like, oh, this is this is this is the moment for my generation, right, (laughs) to absorb this. Um, And I was a fan, obviously, of Beyonce because she's Beyonce. Um, And then I was a fan of uh, Jennifer Hudson from American Idol. She was on season three of American Idol, which is my favorite season Mm. of American Idol because Fantasia won that season. And Fantasia is my favorite artist of all time. All right. right? And I I just remember, I think it was the top six or top four or something like that the bottom three was Fantasia Jennifer Hudson and Latoya London yeah um and Jennifer Hudson went home that and it was just like a such a big deal because they were the three best singers yeah and so a year or so a year two years later when it's like oh Jennifer Hudson is in this big movie and I was like oh this this is good this is like a moment um and so that was my 
you know, kind of introduction to this whole story. And the controversy about three black singers being in the bottom three. Very much so. So everyone was mad about that because they were the three best singers and... And then Jennifer Hudson was sent home. And everyone was like, you fool. Uh, She taught them. Yes, she did. (laughs) Yes, she. Yes, she did. Why this? um, Because we asked you for for a couple of picks. Why did this one uh, make it to the last to the last one for you? You know, I feel like this movie, the story that is told on this soundtrack is one that's just like very much representative and emblematic of like the enduring kind of resilient spirit of black people Mm -hmm. in this country. And I'm always interested in those types of stories um, where we we see ourselves kind of survive and thrive in spite of all the foolishness, right, that we have to deal with. Um, And so like this movie for me and the story of Jennifer Hudson, the story of Effie White, the character that she Mm. plays, um, I don't know, it just resonates with me so much just like having to like you go into this space you're the most talented obviously (laughs) but they're playing you because you're too big or you're too loud or you're too dark or whatever the case may be and like you go through some foolishness but you end up coming out on the end sure and it's sort of an art imitates life thing because i thought that was the issue with with jennifer hudson on american idol that -hmm. she was just too much Mm -hmm. for them south side of chicago big booming vocals and they were looking for something else but to your point she showed them. She uh, showed them. On this. She showed a lot of people on this one. Morgan, as you were saying earlier, especially during the intro, that there was a lot of expectation that was put on this. I mean, the casting was strictly A-list. The film itself obviously had the history with the hit musical behind it. Yeah. So, I mean, this was not like a small thing they were rolling out. I mean, this is hundreds of million dollars in production. Yeah. Well, maybe not quite that much, but it was a lot of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big expectations. For each of you, what did you go in hoping for from the film and what did you get out of it? I think for me, I I'm just I grew up in the church as well. And so we we love big singers. We like yeah. strong as I call it, we like singers. Yeah. We don't we don't like just singers. We like singers, <laughs> That's it. right? That's it. And like I wanted to make sure that the feeling was there. When you hear Jennifer Holiday's version of And I am telling you I'm not going, you feel it. You feel that energy, and that's what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, and I think Jennifer Hudson, just the little bit of time that she had had in the industry, mm. um, I feel like she was just able to, able to bring all of that to the role. And mm. so for me, I was looking for that. Um, I was looking for, you know, with Eddie Murphy and Jamie Foxx, I was looking for those vocals. And I think ultimately it was just the, the energy. You wanted the right energy to be a part of the project, and everyone just seemed very committed to making sure this was, like, the best thing possible. Sure. Uh, the same, you know, I was praying, I was praying for Jennifer Hudson because I felt the pressure on her. I was like, you couldn't, I mean, you, you got the same initials as Jennifer <laughs> yeah. Holiday. Your uh-huh. name is also Jennifer. Yeah. And you, I just thought, Lord, please don't mess up this song. Um, because the, the scrutiny is going to be so high on you because it's a big song. It's the biggest song of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was going to be a star making turn for Beyonce. Mm. It's 2006. Everybody thought that. Yeah. Destiny's Child is broken up. Yeah. You've released B-Day or you're on your way to releasing B-Day. It's huge. And I thought this is cute for them to to bring Jennifer Hudson in. But I didn't have, I thought this is it. Mm -hmm. This This is where Beyonce becomes Diana Ross. This is what I thought. So I think I was as surprised as she anyone She probably else. thought that, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this, yeah, this is what, you know what I'm saying? And then all the uh, all the cast changes. This was supposed to be directed by Joel Schumacher. And he wanted Lauren Hill to star in this. Oh, And then Whitney Houston. Yeah. Mm. 
And they wanted Whitney Houston, but Whitney Houston was like, well, I want to sing Dina's songs and Effie's songs. Mm. And they were like, girl, That's not how that I works. guess. Yeah. <laughs> so there was all this, yeah, Usher was supposed to be in it. Wouldn't Whitney have been a little old for the roles? Sure. Given that these are supposed to be girls starting out in the industry? Yeah. I mean, no shade against Whitney because obviously she probably would have killed it vocally. Sure. But I don't, and, I don't and that's the casting thing sure. that makes sense. But that's may, maybe where they were going. They're like, yeah. whatever, makeup, we'll just, she can sing. And right. so, but it ended up being what, what it ended up. So I think it's it surpassed my expectations mm-hmm. and it surprised me that it became so big yeah. for Jennifer Hudson. Oh, I was going to ask you about... Uh, them changing the location because in the play it's Chicago mm-hmm. and in the film it's Detroit. So I wanted to know if you felt like that was a nod to like they were really just trying to tell the Supremes. It was sort of a shout to like this is really it's Dina, Diana. We're really trying to tell that story of that drama because there's so many similarities. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are some differences, but is, are these girls really supposed to be Diana, Mary Wilson and Florence Ballard? What did you think about the change? I mean, I think that with a lot of these, you know, semi-historical, you know, movies. You want to have those nods. Um, I think it was also, like, Detroit, much like Chicago, is just like a, a black city. And when you think back to that time period, you think of Motown, sure. you think of black music. And so it, it seemed to fit the story, I think. Um, and I think they also saw it as a, a way to, to kind of call back to that history uh, in a way that having it in Chicago, you wouldn't necessarily be right. able to do so. right. Motown for sure. And then uh, if we can get into one of the songs sort of early, um, Cadillac, I thought the song mm. was multi-layered because it, because it's in Detroit. It's talking about this industry mm-hmm. and also the status symbol of having a Cadillac. I got me a Cadillac. Cadillac, Cadillac. I got me a Cadillac car. Ooh. Got me a Cadillac. Cadillac, Cadillac. Look at me, Mr. I'm a star. Ooh. When I was watching the film last night in prep for the chat, that was one of my favorite scenes because it looks like they're in the warehouse, they're shaking up the the chains. It's a glorious song, and then there's like a one in the three (laughs) remix of the song that just is such a, it's just, it just shocked me because I was like, this is like a literal manifestation of like cultural appropriation of this song. Mm -hmm. That the status of being a black person in that time, having a Cadillac and it getting flipped and it becoming sort of like alt folk all of a sudden Mm -hmm. was it was a trip to me. Got me a Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac. Got me a Cadillac car. Oh, I've got me a Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac. I say all the time that they like they just took the butter and the fat back out of that song <laughs> and like just gave us something just real bland. But that's what was happening. Right. They were taking our hits and they were removing the bass line, removing the percussion and having something, you know, completely different and making the money off of it. Right. Made the money. They papooned it. They- <laughs> Shout out to Papoon. But I- <laughs> But I know what you mean. This was one of Eddie's songs, right? It was one of Eddie's songs. So can we talk a little bit? And let me let me proceed this by saying that we're obviously we're supposed to be talking about the musical, but I think it's impossible in this case to divorce the music from the film and all those things. Sure, and so right. this is kind of a sure. hybrid episode, if you will, where we're sort of talking about both. But yeah, I think when Eddie Murphy was initially cast, at least my reaction was, oh, that's really 
minimum interesting because at that point, you got to remember, this is 04, 05 is when they started announcing this. Mostly Murphy had been known for like Shrek. Like he hadn't really done anything else besides it had been, you know, a decade plus since Beverly Hills Cop and his big 80s career. Mm -hmm. So this was sort of like, well, that's kind of curious. And then when you saw him, it's like, oh, this is actually a really good fit for him in a lot of ways. And it, it always surprised me that he didn't do more coming out of this, given how much people wanted to see him win effectively. I was surprised by that casting, too, because as far as singing goes... I mean, we had 1982s, How Could It Be, with the hit Party All the Time. Oh, Party All the Time. <laughs> Shout out to Rick James for production. And then we had 1989's uh, Put Your Mouth on Me, which didn't really have that many hits, yeah. but it was produced by, you know, Niles, Ro Niles Rogers. So it, Eddie Murphy was making NBA rap albums before there was such <laughs> oh, a thing no. as NBA rap oh, albums. No. You know. <laughs> However, um, he sang his face off uh, in, in this film, I thought, given his, uh, given his particular mm -hmm. and interesting skill set. Yeah. I thought he showed up. He definitely showed up. Yeah. And he, he gave us range as well. Yes, I he think, did. In the types of songs he was doing um it i think that was a surprise also for me i was i just wasn't i wasn't ready i, <laughs> I wasn't i, I wasn't either a lot of people were no and so it's hard for me to show it i've got to let you know it because darling i love you more each day but the words got in my Let's get into some of the songs um, on here. Um, I love, it's not my favorite, but one of the things that engaged me from the beginning is the beginning song, which is Move. You've got a such magnetic power that just keeps holding me down. I feel just like a flower that you're keeping stuck in the ground. Power. Listen. Sheer power. Jennifer Hudson bodies that thing. I like it because the thing you talked about, about gospel singers singing, it's like we call it flat-footed singing. Yes. Right? Flat-footed flat -footed singing. Flat-footed singing. And just watching it last night, there's such an awareness. What I like about her in this role is that she embodies her body. I'm a big black girl and I'm singing and, and mostly gospel singers when I grew up, they'd always say, if she's heavy set, she's about to kill it. You know, she's, st she's stepping up. You want no skinny girl singing Precious Lord? <laughs> she better be about 200 Hello. up there singing Precious Lord. So um, I just like her presence amongst the girls and something that I noticed listening to it on Spotify is how low Beyonce's vocals are on here mm -hmm. um, almost like they're trying to drive the point home that it was Jennifer first mm -hmm. and then when they make the decision to push Beyonce then she goes to the goes to the back but it's just one of those power songs where she comes out I like how she's going from side to side it's just confident and it surprised me looking back at this like for somebody that just came from American Idol to step into this role with Beyonce two Virgos 
born a week apart, the same age, right? Mm-hmm. Beyonce September 4th, Jennifer September 12th. You know, there's got to be clashing on there. But mm-hmm. she's like, listen, I'm out here. And that to me is a power move. Yeah. I feel like she had to have like just do some good praying, you know, because, <laughs> you know, Beyonce's Beyonce, yeah. right? I mean, she's not, she wasn't the Beyonce she is today, but she was already a star That's in it. and of herself. No doubt. And for Jennifer Hudson to be, to many people, a nobody, a loser, an American Idol loser, right? To come and like, you're starting off the movie with this. It, I just feel like it, it, it gave me what I needed. Yeah. It gave me what I mean. You could tell that she was ready for this moment that was about to come to her. With this song in particular, and I think this also speaks to a lot of the songs on the soundtrack, is that for a movie that is supposed to be set in the 1960s and drawing from Motown, whether it's set in Detroit or Chicago, either way, it's the music is supposed to be reminiscent or the, the cultural moment is supposed to be coming out of that. Very few of these songs actually sound remotely Motown-ish. And I, I mean, this is, you know, the original musical was written in the early 1980s, so it's not like it was going to be beholden to the musical techniques and styles necessarily of the era it represents. That all said, it always did kind of throw me that a lot of the songs on here were not, to me, consistent with the era it was meant to represent. Mm. And I don't know if that bothered anybody else. It wasn't like it bugged me per se, but it always struck me, like, why didn't they make this sound actually like it is from the 60s? That's a good question. That's a good question. It doesn't really have the Motown sound. I think that's supposed to suggest Motown with the, I mean, I was watching Beyonce, some of her moves when she became the, you know, the lead singer. And it's very Diana. Very much mm-hmm. so. You know, the, the way they spread their arms, yes. the way they're, you know, right. all the stuff around that. The art direction, certainly. Sure. Yeah, but, the, but the songs, yeah. not so much. Yeah. I also wonder about the 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 utility of nostalgia mm. i feel like today like we really want nostalgia yes, i right. wonder if in 2005 2006 that like i wonder if we were actually wanting the 60s yeah. right versus something else or something that was right. that reminded us of it but wasn't quite that sure but it's always real so real always so real when you come We'll be back with more of our conversation with Travel Anderson on the soundtrack to the Dreamgirls film after a brief word from a couple of great Max Fun podcasts. Don't go anywhere. Greetings. I am Plek Dexsetter, contacting you from the Zick Squadron, which is frankly uh, sort of crappy, but I'm, I'm here on a heroic mission with my trusty crew, C-53. Uh, heroic feels like an exaggeration. Okay, sure. And, and uh, security officer Dar. Plek, don't put me in your stupid recording. Well, and, and we're all traveling aboard our trusty starship, the Bargerian Jade. Bargy. What? Sorry. I'm awake. I'm awake. I was, it's fine. I was just flying while asleep. Hey there, this is Alden Ford. I play Plek, and we are so excited to announce that our podcast, Mission to Zix, is now part of the Maximum Fun Network. Our third season launches on Max Fun on March 20th. Binge seasons one and two right now. That's Mission to Zix, Z-Y-X-X. Hi, I'm Biv. And I'm Teresa. And we host One Bad Mother, a comedy podcast about parenting. Whether you are a parent or just know kids exist in the world, join us each week as we honestly share what it's like to be a parent. I'm just going to end with this. Everybody, you're doing a remarkable job of swimming through the shit 
show that is parenting. So join us each week as we judge less, laugh more, and remind you that you are doing a great job. Find us on MaximumFun.org, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back on Heat Rocks talking about the Dream Girls film soundtrack with our guest, writer, and editor, Travel Anderson. Hello. So assuming that you listened to this and prep for the chat, because I know that you did, mm-hmm. which was the song that you were like, ooh, I have to hear this one first? So one of, it's not necessarily my favorite. And the, my favorites change depending on my mood. Okay. You know, but today, the one I kept playing over and over as I was driving over here was Patience. Mm. We must walk in peace. We got to walk It's the only Let's talk about one of my favorite songs, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to embrace the sacrilege of this before I even go there. But I love "One Night Only," the disco version. Oh, sorry. Love it. Love it. Because the beginning of the song, when it opens up, it's just such classic disco. It sounds like you make me feel mighty real. The scene in the movie where it's just super disco. They got the boys. It's like Studio 54. I, as I said, I embrace the sacrilege because I know this was supposed to be Effie's song. They stole it from her. They remade it. But, but it's it's a, such a tempo change and a genre change for this film. This is a good, you know, taking a song from someone and turning it into something good. Yeah. Like, you know what they tried to do with Cadillac Car, you yeah. know, when they did the white version of it. Here's it's an acceptable version of the original. That's it. Like I, I, it, depending on my mood, I'll play the disco version okay. versus the original. But, you know, I. I'm going to play the original first. Okay. I'm just saying. I know it's I know it's morally wrong in the context of the film because she was Effie was robbed of her star turning turning yes. moment, but that disco version is just so hot to me. It's so good. And what it says, I think, about the changing of the times and right. where they're going, and as much as we want to just like poo-poo on Jamie Foxx's character, he was a shrewd business mind. He may have been like, you know, a wash in controversy and and just evil tactics, but he knew the business. Business. Yeah. And I thought this was smart that he was moving, you know, with the times. And then we had, we had talked, I forgot what show it was, but we talked about, about people poo-pooing on disco. We, <laughs> en- we ended up talking about the politics and the racism of people mm. hating on disco. Homophobia, too. Yeah, homophobia yeah. and the precursor to, to, to house music. So I like that because I'm a dance music kid, so... That's I love thing. that you had that Sylvester reference. Yeah, I Sylvester! Live we actually have not, I think, talked enough about the biggest song on this album in terms of, I mean, we've obviously been referencing and, and I'm telling you, but what is it about Hudson's performance here that is so memorable? I mean, it's obviously just the, the power of it is, is, is I think clear, but what else beyond it? And, and I remember when this song came out and I'd, I'd probably heard it on the radio before I'd seen it in the film. Um, and Travel, you were mentioning earlier that you, you listen to the soundtrack more than you, you watch the film, but that if I have this right, you were saying that you think about the scenes when you're listening to it. And for me, I mean, the, the moment of the song, and this happened when I was listening to it this week, where 
it, it's towards the climax where she's doing the NUNU part and she's pointing in the film, which I always see. I still get that chill running up my spine. And it's been, what, 12, 13 years since I saw the film. What is what is happening in this performance? Because, I, and I'm not taking away from anything else that Hudson does in the film. That won her the Oscar. I mean, straight up yeah, and down, right? Yeah. What is it about this performance that is so extraordinary and, and about the song itself, too? I think it's hard to divorce this song and this performance from the song that immediately precedes it, which is another one of my favorites. It's all over. Mm-hmm. I think there you see the unfolding of like everyone turning on her mm-hmm. and her realizing that everyone's turning on her so that once we come to the moment of and I'm telling you, she's just like, I'm by myself. Right. I had this family. I had all these people that were with me and lifting me up. Now I'm by myself. And I just imagine for me, I again, I think back to American Idol when you get sent home from American Idol and no one's talking to you. You don't have a record contract. You're by yourself again. And she's saying with this movie, with her, this being kind of her, her resurrection, if you will, into the industry, I'm not going. N- despite the headlines with y'all talking about my body, talking about what I'm wearing, talking about how I look, I'm not going. And I think that energy, that spirit is something that like we all can identify with. That's why you get the chills. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, I, I cry almost every time I hear that sure. song. It's just it's just so much energy, so much power behind it. Agree a hundred percent. And if you think about American Idol, when they announce who's won, they're like America's voted. And so it's not just being rejected, it's being rejected by America. And as a plus-size black woman, how that had to feel and to get home and to know in your spirit that you, you outsang pretty much everyone mm-hmm. in here. And I think when you gather, when she gathers herself and looks around and everyone has turned, including her brother, mm-hmm. who's supposed to be writing these songs for her, yeah. she's lost her man to Beyonce. That has mm-hmm. to sting mm-hmm. because look at Beyonce, look at Dina right. in, the, in the film. Right. Right. This song is the hardest for me to talk about, I think, because I love Jennifer Holliday's version. Here we go. And <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Confession is good for the song. Yeah, I know. So you tell us. I prefer Jennifer Holliday's version. Oh. I prefer. I'm not going to say that Jennifer didn't sing her face off and mine. and I just prefer it. Mm-hmm. Um I prefer the performance of Jennifer Hudson because mm. because of the things that we mentioned of because what she brings to the table because I don't think she was just singing it I think she was living it mm. I think she was you know preaching it I think she was prophesying it I think she was embodying all these things but there's something about that original I think because I heard it so much on the radio and I love Jennifer Hudson's I prefer Jennifer mm-hmm. Holidays I I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think Jennifer okay. Holliday's version, there's a rawness there. Like in every time she performs it, she p- performs it with a similar rawness that Jennifer Hudson's voice just doesn't have. That's it. Um, Jennifer Hudson's voice is a, it's a, a slightly more classic, you know, yeah. than Jennifer Holliday's. And so, like, I love them both, but I think you're right. Jennifer Holliday's version, it, it, it. If Jennifer Hudson like makes me shed a tear, Jennifer Holiday makes me like ball. Yeah. You know? That's it. That's it. 
So question for you, when you first saw the film, did you fall in love with the film, you know, in and of itself more or the music? Which was the thing that stuck with you? <laughs> um, I think, you know, we all have various thoughts about Beyonce's acting abilities. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all weren't expecting me to go there. Oh, let's take it there. Um, but, uh, um, I mean, she's not the best actress. Sure. Just saying. So I, th- I think it was the music that, that carried the film. I remember their their performance on the Oscars stage. They had like a six minute performance mm-hmm. doing a medley of songs. I think that is is the mark of a good musical. Sure. Is the music being able to stand on its own. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I listen to the soundtrack more than I watch the movie. Mm. Um, and I think part of that is because I can, when I listen to the soundtrack, I can imagine the scenes that are happening, you know? I can imagine he said this, and then she said this, and then the song starts, right? Um, and so I don't need the movie um, to, to kind of capture what I need from the soundtrack. Sure, sure. Let's get into one of my other favorites, which is family. No matter what we are, we are a family. This dream is for all of us. This one can be real. This is so early 80s. This really shows like when this was originally composed. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm waiting for Dionne Warwick and Gladys Knight to come in and sing That's What Friends Are For. Boom. It has that feeling to me. We all grab hands. And this is supposed to be a beautiful moment, even though we're, we're absolutely pushing you to the back. Right. right. You are losing your spot. But you know what, girl? We're all in here together. But I just, I, I love hearing all the voices together. Mm-hmm. I love that it wasn't just the three girls or just Jamie Foxx or just Eddie Murphy. It was all of them together. One name I want to highlight that I don't think we talk enough about on this soundtrack is Keith Robinson who plays the brother. Sure. Hit. Ooh. Listen. Ooh. <laughs> Listen. Like I just think every single t- the harmonies are on point, the emotion is there, um and I think he is one of those people who I guess because he's not somebody that we know, somebody who's not, you know, shiny. Sure. He kind of falls to the background, he, like Anika Noni Rose, yeah. like Sharon Leal. Yeah. Um, but his voice in particular, I think, on uh, Step Into the Bad Side, Ooh. he stands out. On this, he stands out. Um, on the on the deluxe version of the soundtrack, he has this song um, right before uh, I Am Changing, in which he, he and Jennifer Hudson are doing a duet. Oh, yeah. Um, Beautiful. It's so, it's just so wonderful it's so wonderful and i didn't know of him before before this yeah i just i just didn't know of him but he but but he sang too and let's not sleep on anika noni rose because she was the tony winner she was the one that came in with the verified acting chops you know um and i loved her character and i and i especially love when she lets uh eddie murphy's character know that laurel is moving on yes laurel's got to go laurel's got to go (laughs) your fire track on here my fire track on here, I have to go to, I think I'm going to give it to Step Into the Bad Side. Okay. I'm going to give it to Step Into okay. the Bad Side. Okay. Just because I just love the, again, when I listen to that song, I see the performance of it happening. I see Jamie Foxx and Keith Robinson and Eddie Murphy at the beginning saying that we've got to do things differently. Right. Like we've got to do, and then the music starts, and then they're at the Apollo with the song, and then Jennifer Hudson and Anika Noni Rose and Beyonce they come out with tambourines, and they've got this whole thing behind. It's it's a moment, um, and I think it's just like it's hot. Step into the bad side. 
It is a moment, and it is, it is our, I think, our introduction into the scene, introduction to the, the background of, of music and how, you know, you have to adapt to the times. And I think it's a star turn for Eddie Murphy, because Eddie Murphy came out swinging. Very and, much so. And again, let's just talk about how I just really wasn't expecting him to reach this peak vocally. It's it's a good, it was a pleasant surprise, mm-hmm. but I expected to be underwhelmed, and I was not. Hey, listen, he came swinging. He came and his and his acting. He gave me, you know, he gave me junky and he gave me over sexualized R and B star with the conk and all that. Man just stole my woman from me. Took her down to Tennessee. She was the best girl I ever knew. If it wasn't for him, she'd still be true. Always been a good man. It's been sad. When I catch the man here, wish he would dead. Like him, make good men mad. We ask our guests sometimes to describe uh, the album in three words. If you had to describe this album in three words, what would they be? Emotional, strong, familial. Mmm. Ooh, I like that. That will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Travel Anderson. Where can people find you? You can find me on the internets at Travel Anderson everywhere. That's T R E V E L L Anderson. Um, and as I said, I'm at Out Magazine now, so out.com. Awesome. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits engineers and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.